All right, well, we're there in uh, Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter one. Can you turn me up just a little bit? I'm having trouble hearing myself. Thank you. Just, just a tiny bit. Jonah chapter number one. And uh, like we've been talking about, we're starting a brand new uh, series this uh, morning, Jonah chapter one. And we are going to be going through the life of Jonah. And uh, in, in the story of Jonah, we find this man, and I'm, I'm sorry, if you just turn me down just there, I'd appreciate that. Jonah chapter 1 there. Uh, <clears throat> look at verse number 1 just by way of introduction. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. As we begin this book and as we begin this story and begin to dig into the life of Jonah, what we find is that God commanded Jonah to go preach to the Assyrian capital, uh, which is the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the ancient empire of Assyria. Now, Assyria is one of the world empires of the ancient empires, and you may remember learning about Assyria if you took like you know, some sort of world history or ancient history or things like that, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And in verse number three, we find the answer that Jonah gives God. Notice the first part of verse three. It says, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It wasn't that Jonah did not understand what he was asked to do or did not understand what he was told to do. Uh, Jonah's response to God was basically, I understand what you're asking me to do, but no. I understand what you're asking me to do, but I'm going to do the exact opposite. And, you know, I don't have a map up here, or, you know, uh, to be able to show you this, but if you, if you look at a map of uh, that part of the world and that region of the world, and if, and if you can just kind of think in your mind, you know, when we think of that part of the world where the nation of Israel would be or where the Middle East is and things like that, you would find a big sea known as the Mediterranean Sea. And if you have the Mediterranean Sea, if you kind of just picture that in your mind, on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea is where you find the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel borders the Mediterranean Sea, and Joppa would be one of those cities that would be near to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, when you go west towards the Atlantic Ocean, you know, the most western part, if, if you can kind of picture the Mediterranean Sea, on the east side, you'd have like the Middle East, the nation of Israel. On the south of it, you would have like Africa and that part of the world. And on the north of it, you would have Europe. Now, where uh, Jonah arose to flee, it says that he, uh, he, flee, he went to flee unto Tarshish. Tarshish would be a part of uh, a land that is near Spain. So it would be on the most western part of the Mediterranean Sea before you enter into the Atlantic. Now, here's what you need to understand. If you can kind of picture that Mediterranean Sea, you've got Israel on this side, the east side of it. You've got Tarshish near Spain on the west side of it. If you continue to go west, you'll enter into the Atlantic Ocean. The Assyrian Empire was 500 miles inland east of the nation of Israel. So when Jonah decides that he's not going to go to the nation of, of, of Assyria, to Nineveh, to preach, not only does he decide he's not going to do it, he literally decides to go to the exact opposite direction. In fact, he goes as far as he can go within the developed 
travel routes of the world. I mean, at that point, you know, we weren't really having the world, uh, wasn't really having travel all around the world. And as far as the developed travel routes were concerned, Jonah literally went as far away as he could go from Nineveh, from where God had called him to go. He's, the Bible says there in verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, the reason that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because of the fact that Nineveh in the nation of uh, the, the empire of Assyria uh, was a nation known for violence, and these were bad people. And keep your place there in Jonah chapter 1. That's our text for this morning. But go to the book of Nahum just real quickly. If you're there in Jonah, you're going to go past the book of Micah into the book of Nahum, Nahum chapter 3. And let me just show you a little bit about this city, Nineveh. You know, in Jonah's defense, the Assyrian empire was in a violent place, It was an evil place, and it was especially evil towards the nation of Israel. Nahum chapter 3. Now, in the book of Nahum, we have a prophecy by the prophet Nahum where he's basically prophesying the destruction of the city of Nineveh. Now, Jonah was sent to prophesy the destruction of the city of Nineveh. As we'll learn at the end of the book, they actually turned to God And therefore, God showed mercy and grace and did not destroy them. But later on in their history, they went back to their wickedness. And God sends Nahum to preach against the city of Nineveh. It doesn't repent in the same way they did with Jonah. And they are destroyed. But I want you to notice how the book of Nahum describes these people. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. Woe to the bloody city. Talking about the city of Nineveh. It is all, notice what it says. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. It was a busy, busy city. It was a moving city, but it was a corrupt city. It was full of lies and robbery. Notice verse 3. The horsemen lifted up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a, notice what it says, multitude of slain. It was a violent place. Notice, and a great number of carcasses, and there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. It was such a violent place that, I mean, people are tripping over the dead bodies of the multitude of the slain just on the streets in the city. Notice verse 4, because of the multitude of the whoredom. So not only was it a corrupt place full of lies and robbery, not only was it a violent place full of corpses and carcasses, but it was also a place of perversion. It says, because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of, notice what it says, witchcraft. So it's also an evil place in regards to witchcraft and, 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 and you know, witches and sorcery and things like that, uh, that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcraft. And I just want to kind of show you that just to paint a picture of this is the place that Jonah was told to go. Jonah was told to go to a city full of lies and robbery, full of violence to the point where carcasses are just piling up on the streets, you know, uh, full of whoredoms and witchcraft. And the Assyrian Empire, if you go make your way back to Jonah 
chapter number 1, the Assyrian Empire was the stated enemy of the nation of Israel. In fact, if you remember your Bible history as you read the Bible, it is the Assyrian Empire that takes over and captures the northern part of Israel. If you remember the northern part of Israel, uh, uh, Israel was divided into two nations. They had a civil war and they were divided into two nations. You've got the northern uh, nation of Israel that, uh, that was ten tribes, and then you've got the southern nation of Israel that was Judah. The northern nation of Israel was eventually taken over and captured by the Assyrian Empire. And as we're learning in the book of Ezekiel, the southern part was eventually taken over by the nation of Babylon. Now, here's what you need to understand. If you go back to history and you study the Assyrian Empire, what they were known for was complete destruction. See, when a world empire uh, would take over a land, what they would often do is they would preserve the culture and the government of that land. Think about the Roman Empire as they took over the, uh, the nation of Israel in the New Testament. You've got the Roman Empire that's running the nation of Israel, but they allow within that you know, empire, the, the Israelites are supposed to uh, pay taxes and tribute to the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire is the one who, at the end of the day, is really in charge. But they would allow them to have you know, their priest and their temple and their culture. Many empires would take over a land, but they would allow the people to keep their identity, to keep their culture, to keep their structural system. They would just bring a government over that that would kind of oversee or overrun that and take taxes. That's what most world empires did. That's what Babylon did. But the Assyrian Empire was known for coming into an empire and completely obliterating it. They would mix in. They would move people away. And by the way, this is why we don't have the ten tribes of Israel today, because the Assyrian Empire came in, and instead of allowing the people to stay in their land and just have them under bondage, they literally just scattered them around. And, and, and all of that was prophesied by God that the nation of Israel would be dispersed. But that's what the Assyrian Empire did. The Assyrian Empire, just to give you kind of a context to understand, what they were known for, what they were good at, you know, what, what the, the reputation that they had in the world. You know, people understood, if the Assyrian Empire comes to take over, you need to, you know, uh, completely surrender, or you better die in battle, because if they capture you, what they were known for, they had perfected the art of skinning a man alive in a fashion that would keep him alive as long as possible. This is the nation of Nineveh. This is the Assyrian Empire. This is where Jonah was commanded to go. So in Jonah's defense, and I'm not defending him in the sense, obviously he disobeyed God and he got vaccinated. But in Jonah's defense, you can kind of understand <clears throat> why he wasn't just, you know, jumping up with joy when <clears throat> the word of the Lord came unto him saying, go to Nineveh. Jonah decides to run. Jonah decides to go. Jonah gets backslidden. And the book of Jonah is given to us, if you can make your way back to, to, the, to the book of Jonah, if you haven't already, Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> One of the reasons I believe that God gave us the book of Jonah is to kind of show us and teach us and give us some lessons in regards to what happens to those who run away from God. We're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers. We're talking about those who are saved, those who call themselves Christians, those who would say, you know, I am a follower of Jehovah God. I am a, you know, in the New Testament sense, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
What happens to those who run? And here's what I want you to understand. Jonah is not much different uh, than you and I are different in the sense that we often choose to run from God. Now, Jonah chose to run from uh, his call to the Assyrian Empire because he hated them. And, and, and just to give you some proof of that, later on in the book, when the, when the, when the uh, city of Nineveh basically repents and turns to God, Jonah's mad about it. You know, he's upset about it. He, he wanted to see them get destroyed because he hates those people. And for that reason, Jonah chose to run away from God. But you know, we often run and choose to disobey God. When God gives us a clear command, and God, the word of the Lord comes unto us through the reading of the word of God or through the preaching of the word of God, the word of the Lord comes to us, and we basically look at God like, like Jonah did and say, you know what, I understand what you're saying, but no, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to go there. I'm not willing to make that decision. I'm not willing. And what happens is Christians often choose to run. And, you know, I, I've been pastoring this church now for over eight years, and one thing I've learned, and, and I would encourage those of you that are training for the ministry, you, you want to learn this lesson as quickly as possible. And those of you that have been with us for years, you know this to be true, that people come and people go. People come and they're on fire and they're soul winning and they're three to thrive and they're tithing and they're excited. And then something happens. They get upset about something. They get mad about something. They don't like something. And they decide to quit. They decide to run. They decide to go. And though I understand as a pastor that that is inevitable. I, I hope that never happens. I hope every person in this room serves God for the rest of their lives. And that doesn't mean that you can't move away or go somewhere else. But if you move away, you should find another good church to be a part of. And you should get connected there. But, but what I know is this, that there are people sitting in this room right now, sitting in this room right now, that in a year or two or three will not be in church will not be serving God, will not be living for God, you'll be running from God like Jonah. And all I want to do this morning, all I want to do this morning is give you a couple of things, four, three, four statements. I had three and I added one. <laughs> four statements to consider before you run. I just want to look at the story of Jonah here and just give you some thoughts, some things that we can learn from Jonah. Because, you know, the best way to learn is not from your own mistakes, but from the mistakes of others. And I just want to give you four statements. And look, some of you are going to run. Some of you are on the verge of running right now. Some of you, you know, this might, you know, you're, you're just kind of, you're, you're, you've already in your heart moved on. You're already in your mind moved on. You're just kind of waiting for the right excuse. You're waiting for the right time when pastor, you know, forgets to mention your birthday or when he, you know, said he's going to call you and he didn't call you or whatever. You know, you're just waiting for the right opportunity. You've already left, but you're just kind of waiting for the right excuse to be able to say, well, that's the reason. Because here's what we never say. We never say, I'm quitting because I'm backslidden. We say, I'm quitting because pastor did pastor's wife did, staff member did, or staff wife did, or so-and-so did, or whatever it might be. And that's fine. I understand that. All I want you to learn this morning and all I want you to, uh, to take from this sermon, I'd like you to write these statements down, is just four things to consider before you run. Because, look, all of us are tempted to run at some point. All of us are tempted to cut loose at some point. All of us are tempted to just say, you know what, I'm done with it, I'm going, I'm leaving, it's, it's not worth it, and I just want to give you a couple things to consider. So, number one this morning, before you run, when you get the urge to run, when you get the inclination to run, when you decide, you know what, I think I'm done with it, I'm done with church, I'm done with Bible reading, I'm done with prayer time, I'm done with soul winning, I'm done with this marriage, I'm done with 
this ministry, I'm done with what God has called me to do. Before you run, I'd like you to just consider a few things. Number one, not only who you are running from, but where you are running to. Before you run, you ought to consider not only who you are running from, but where you are running to. See, in the story, there's an emphasis that's placed several times. I want you to notice it. Look at verse 3 there, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee, to run unto Tarshish. And I want you to notice this phrase, from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew exactly who he was running from. Jonah knew exactly why he was running, what had upset him, what had caused him to want to go. Jonah knew that he was going. You say, Jonah, why are you running? And if he was honest, he would say, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish. Notice, again, the emphasis, from the presence of the Lord. Notice verse 10. You go down to verse 10 there. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 10 says this, Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled. Notice again, from the presence of the Lord. Because he had told them. See, Jonah had very clear in his mind who he was running from. He was running from the presence of the Lord. But I would submit to you this morning that something that Jonah had not thought out very well, not not just who he was running from. When we run, we often think much about who we're running from, and we get fixated on who we're running from, and we get bitter and angry against who we're running from. But often when we run, we don't give a lot of consideration where we're running to. Keep your place there in Jonah chapter 1. Go, go with me to the book of John, John chapter 6. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And while you turn there, I'd like to tell you a little story. I'm sure none of you know this about me, except my wife and my, my family. <clears throat> but when I was 10 years old, I did something that I think a lot of kids do, but not every kid does. I know my wife didn't do this. But when I was 10, 10 years old, I ran away from home. In fact, I ran away from home twice. And, uh, you know, and I don't remember all the details. I, I should have asked my sister, Miss Michelle, before I preached the sermon. She probably remembers all the details. But I remember that it was summertime, and we weren't in school. And, you know, my parents were at work, uh, you know, during the summer. And my older sister, Michelle, who's, uh, you know, was supposed to be watching us, taking care of us and whatever. And I don't know what, what the issue was. I can't remember what I was upset about or what, but I, I know it had to do with, with her and some rule she had or my dad and some rule he had and she was enforcing it. And I wasn't happy about it. And I remember, I remember when I decided that I was going to run away from home. I fixated on the fact that it, whatever it was, I don't even know what it was now, wasn't fair. Whatever it was, wasn't right. You know, who does she think she is just because she's, you know, seven years older than I am or whatever, just because she's been put in charge, you know, by my parents. Who does she think she is? And, and the whole time, I mean, I, I packed a bag. I had a bag. I put stuff in it. You know, I, I'm, I, I had like a stick that I tied the bag to because I'd seen that on cartoons and I thought that's how you do it. And, and I, I, I left. I ran away. Now, the, where we lived in the Bay Area, we had a, our house the school that we went to was across the street from our house. The school we went to was across the street. And at the school, you know, a location was like a park area and a baseball area. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, when I was leaving, it was very clear to me who I was running from. 
I was very upset about where I was running from. But I remember when I crossed the street and I jumped the fence, because it's summertime, school, school's closed down, and I got into the, in, into the park there, I realized I'm not sure where I'm going. And I didn't really have a plan. And I didn't really know, what am I going to do now? So I hung out at the park for two hours or three hours. And the funny thing is that you could see me from the window in our front, in our house. You know, and eventually my sister comes over three hours later or whatever and says, it's time to come home. And by then I was hungry and it was time to come home. <laughs> that episode happened twice in my life. The second time my dad took me in a room and basically, you know, spanked me or told me, you know, I don't want to hear you running away from again. And that was the end of my running career. <laughs> but... What, I'm, what I want you to understand is this, that when we run, when we choose to run, we often fixate. See, when someone wants to get a divorce and they want to run away from husband or wife, they fixate on, she's done this, and he's done this, and I shouldn't take this, and this isn't fair, and this isn't right. And when we run, when we decide to quit on church, pastor did this, or Mrs. Jimenez did this, or a fellow church member did this, and we fixate on what we're running from, but we very rarely consider where we're running to and where you're going to go and what are you going to do. And in John chapter 6, we find an interesting story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because in John chapter 6, we have the Lord Jesus Christ preach a sermon that basically causes a church split. Notice John chapter 6 and verse 66. The Bible says this, John chapter 6 and verse 66, it says, For that time many of his disciples went back. And walked no more with him. Jesus preached a sermon that caused people to leave. And the Bible says many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. And it's interesting to me that Jesus asks this question because sometimes as a pastor I want to look at somebody and ask him this question. Sometimes I, I wish I had the boldness and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he looks at the disciples who are obviously watching people leave. Seeing their eyes shift as they're looking, no, not so-and-so, and oh, they left too, and, and, and what about these people? And Jesus looks at his 12, and he says this, he says, will ye also go away? Are you going to quit too? Are you going to run too? Are you going to go away too? And Peter one of the few times that he responds, and every once in a while Peter has a great response. Usually he's putting his foot in his mouth, but every once in a while he has a great response. And he has a great response. He has a great clarity of mind when he gives this response. And I wish Jonah would have asked the same question that Peter asked, because when the Lord Jesus Christ asked the question, will ye also go away in a very clear moment? Peter says this, verse 68, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And all, all, all I would say is this. If you're thinking of running, if you're considering running, if one day you decide to run, all I'm saying is this. Before you run, before you leave the church, before you leave the marriage, before you abandon the children, before you quit on the ministry, before you go, I know we fixate on what we're running from, the presence of the Lord. But have you considered where are you going to go? Because Peter asked this powerful question. He says, to whom shall we go? Thou has the words of eternal life. So number one this morning, before you run, consider not only who you are running from. I know that's very clear. It's very clear when you decide to quit and run. It's very clear who you're running from. It's very clear who you're upset at. It's very clear 
who you're bitter at. It's very clear why you're running. But have you considered where you're running? Number two, go back to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Things to consider before you run. Number one, not only who you are running from, but where you are running to. Number two, before you run, consider. Before you run, consider that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Jonah chapter 1, are you there? Look at verse 4. Remember in verse 3, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He knew exactly where he was going. I'm going as far as I can, as far as the developed travel routes will allow me to go from the presence of the Lord. But here's what's interesting. In verse 4, the Bible says this, But the Lord, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And here's what's interesting about this story, is that when Jonah decides to run, he said, I'm going to go where no one will find me. I'm going to get on the Mediterranean Sea, and I'm going to go as far west as I can possibly go, you know, before I hit the Atlantic, and maybe once I'm there, I might get on a ship and uh, do like Columbus and and travel the Atlantic. I don't know. But he said, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to flee. I'm just going to get away. And he gets on a ship. He gets physically, literally, as far as he can go. And when he gets there, God's there. Because God sent out a great wind into the sea. And what's interesting, and we read the chapter, and we're going to read the verses here in a little bit. But when the storm comes, and the whole situation between the mariners and Jonah comes to pass, and we're going to look at those verses here in a second, and they decide that the answer to the storm is that they must throw Jonah off the boat, They must sacrifice Jonah to save the ship because this is all as a result of God bringing his judgment upon Jonah when they decide to throw him off the ship. Notice verse 17. In verse 4 it said, but the Lord sent out a great wind. In verse 17 it says, now the Lord uh, had prepared a great fish. Jonah gets on the sea and the Lord sent out a great wind. Jonah gets under the sea and the Lord prepared a great fish. To swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it doesn't matter where Jonah goes. He gets on the ship. He gets on the sea. And God is there prepared with a great wind. He gets thrown off the ship. He's in the sea. And God is there. And he prepared a great fish. You say, what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn. That in your life, you can run from God. But you will never outrun God. Wherever you run... God will be there. Wherever you run, God will have already prepared to meet you there. Keep your place there in John. Go with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. If you open up your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Let me say this about the great fish. Jesus would quote it in the New Testament as a whale. People often mock at the Bible and they'll say, oh, you guys believe these fairy tales. You believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale and he lived under the water for three days and three nights. And I would just submit to you this. You know, obviously we believe the word of God because it is the word of God. And, and, but I, but I, w- I would submit to you this, that today, today, scientists and engineers will admit to the fact that we cannot create technology that is as advanced as the quote-unquote technology that is found in our bodies. They cannot create a computer 
that thinks as quickly and processes as quickly as the human brain. They, they cannot create a camera that, you know, has the same uh, characteristics or the same qualities or advances as the human eye. So when you look at technology today and you realize that if you take the greatest technology that man can create and you look at the things that God created, like the eye and the brain and the human body and organs, and we, and we compare the two and we say one is much more advanced than the other. I would just submit to you today that if we as human beings can create equipment and vehicles that allow human beings to live underwater for months, then why would you think that God could not prepare a fish that would allow Jonah to live underwater for three days? I mean, he's already outperformed us in everything else he's done. I think God could create a much better, a much greater submarine than you and I can create then you and I could invent. So yes, I do believe that this is a literal story and that Jonah literally was swallowed by a whale. And by the way, there have been other accounts of other people just in history that were swallowed by whales, that were out you know, fishing and harpooning whales and things, and they fell overboard, and later they cut the whale open, and there was a guy, unconscious. You know, There's been other stories like that, so it's not completely absurd. But what we can learn from Jonah is this. What we can learn is that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Notice Psalm 139 and verse 7. Jonah should have known this because in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah actually quotes the book of Psalms a lot. But he doesn't quote Psalm 139. Notice what Psalm 139 verse 7. By the way, this is a great psalm to prove the doctrine of the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere at once. Psalm 139 verse 7 says this, Whither shall I go? The word whither means to what place? Where can I go from thy spirit? Or whither, to what place shall I flee? From thy presence, Jonah. That's what he says. If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. By the way, hell is not separation from God. The Bible says that when you go to hell, God's there. And, and, and it's God who's running it. And you're being tormented in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels. But here in Psalm, we're told, he says, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Jonah, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. See, what you need to understand is this. Before you run, before you run, before you quit, before you give up, you're so fixated and bitter about what decision was made here, decision was made there, or what this person said, or what they didn't say, or what they did, or what they didn't do, or what, they, what you think they said, or what you think they thought. Before you run, you ought to consider, before you run, I know you're really fixated on what you're running from, but you ought to consider, like Peter, where am I running to? Where shall I go? Thou has the words of life. But not only that, you should consider the fact that you can run from God. Look, you can run from Pastor Jimenez, and Pastor Jimenez is not going to chase you. I, I, you know, and I, and I don't mean that I, you know, I, I made a rule a long time ago. When people quit this church, I don't chase them down. You know, I don't call them and, oh, you got to come back. You know, to me, look, if you want to go be part of some liberal, watered-down church with a bunch of pedophiles in the Sunday school class, go for it. You should have considered that before you burnt the bridge. You should have asked yourself when you were fleeing from the presence of the Lord, where shall I go? 
Where am I going to put my wife? Where am I going to put my kids? I'm not going to chase people down. You say, oh, well, that's not very loving. Well, then God must not be very loving because when you study the story of the prodigal son, the father doesn't chase the son down. The father allows the storms of life or the famines of life or the droughts of life to bring him back. And we're not going to run from you. You can run from me. You can run from your wife. You can run from your job. You can run from your children. You can run from your husband. You can run from everybody. But you cannot run from God. Because you should consider the fact that when you run from God, you should consider the fact that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. And it doesn't matter if you get to the farthest part of the most deserted sea God will be there. And he will have a wind or a fish or whatever he needs to have prepared to deal with you. Number three, go back to Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter one. Not only should you consider not only who you're running from, but where you're running to. Not only should you consider that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. But thirdly, this morning, before you run, before you run, you should consider That when you run, before you run, if you're married, I really want you to listen to this. If you have children, I really want you to listen to this. Before you run, you should consider that when you run, you will wreak havoc in the lives of those traveling with you. Notice Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. The problem is that Jonah was not out in the sea by himself on this ship. He had people traveling with him. Verse 5, then the mariners, the sailors, were afraid. Now look, this has to be a pretty bad storm. If people whose full-time job is to sail the sea, if they're afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares, it was such a bad storm that they're throwing the merchandise, the cargo off the ship. They're realizing we're not going to make any money off of this void. In fact, we might go into debt. We, if we survive this thing, we might get back home and have a whole lot of merchants upset at us because we threw their wares into the ocean. But the storm was so bad that they were even willing to throw away the merchandise. And by the way, let me just say this. I'm not preaching on this, but let me just say this. When the storms of life come into our lives, it really helps put things in perspective. All of a sudden, all that merchandise that you were so into is not that important when God gets a hold of you. And he cast forth the the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it off them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. He lay and was fast asleep. We're going to deal with that in another week in this series. Notice verse 6. So the shipmasters came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us. Notice what they said. Notice what he says. That we, he didn't say that you, Jonah, he said that we perish not. Why? Because when Jonah decided to run, he not only brought a storm upon himself, but he brought a storm upon those who were traveling with him. That's verse 7. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. Why is this evil upon us? Whose fault is it that this evil is upon us? So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon our reluctant hero, Jonah. 
Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which made the sea. <laughs> Jonah, if you know that God made the sea, why would you get on the sea to run from God? Which had made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. See, before you run, Mama, before you file for that divorce, consider that when you run, you will not only wreak havoc in the lives of those tra- in, in your own life, but you will also wreak havoc in the lives of those that are traveling with you. Before you run, Dad, would you consider the kids? Would you consider your wife? Before you run, Mom, would you consider your husband, your children? Would you consider your fellow church members? See, we're not an island. We live this life in community, and whether you want to admit it or not, you are going down the road of life in community with others. There are others that are traveling with you in this life. And when you decide to run from God, you will not only bring storms and havoc upon yourself, but you'll bring it upon those, even the innocent, who are traveling with you. So you should consider that before you run. Before you run, you should consider not only who you're running from, but where you're running to. Before you run, you should consider that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Before you run, you should consider that when you do run, you will wreak havoc on the lives of those traveling with you. Let me give you the bonus point, point number four. Go to Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter one. We're talking about things to consider before you run. Things to consider before you run. Notice verse seven again. And when they said everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee. Notice what they said. They said, For whose cause this evil is upon us? They're saying, Whose fault is it that God is hurting us? That this evil is upon us? Look at verse 9. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Really, Jonah? I mean, I'm sure he's fearing the Lord right now. We didn't have much fear of the Lord when he had the opportunity to run. The God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land, then were the men exceeding afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? And again, just, just to go back to the previous point, there are some children asking mom and dad, maybe not you know, out loud, but in their hearts and their minds, Why hast thou done this? Because you chose to run. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Verse 11. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? that the sea may be calm unto us. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous, and he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Notice it was Jonah's idea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest 
is upon you. And let me just throw this in uh, just to answer a quick question. You know, we spent the last three weeks talking about when bad things happen to good people. And I hope you'll understand that God does allow trials into our lives and God does allow things to come into our lives when we have not provoked it, when we have not done anything wrong, like Joseph or like Job or like Paul. God is using it to get us somewhere where we need to be or God is using it to make us someone that we need to be. But let me just say this. Sometimes storms come into our lives because of our own decisions and choices. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how do I know the difference? Here's how you know the difference. When the storm comes and it immediately comes into your mind, this happened because, fill in the blank, then you know you're not Job. Then you know you're not Joseph. It's interesting how, uh, you know, Jonah understood Look at the last part of verse 12. He says, For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Jonah was not sitting there thinking, Am I a Job? Am I like Joseph and having... No, Jonah knew exactly why the storm was there. And all I would submit to you today is when storms come into your life, you ought to consider. You ought to say like the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Jonah understood exactly why the storm was there. And in your life, you'll know it too, if it's a result of sin and actions in your life. Notice verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Notice verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, notice what he says, I cried by reason of mine affliction. He says, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. And by the way, that's sometimes that's why afflictions come. Because it's the only way that God can get your attention. The only way that God can get you to look in his direction. I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice, verse 3, for, notice what he said, for thou, talking to God, for thou hast cast me into the deep. Here's a question I have for you. Who cast Jonah into the sea? Was it the mariners? No. It was God. Who sold Joseph into slavery? Was it his brothers? Physically, it was his brothers, but it was God who allowed it. It was within God's plan. And Jonah is understanding that this is all God's plan. Jonah is understanding that though I run from God, I cannot outrun God. And Jonah is understanding that God has a plan for me and God has a purpose and God is trying to accomplish something in my life. And in verse 3, he says, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, and the floods compass me about, all thy billows and thy waves pass over me. Go to Proverbs chapter number 3. We're almost done. Proverbs chapter 3. If you kept your place in Psalms, it's just the next book over. If not, just right in the center of your Bible, you'll find Psalms. The next book over is Proverbs. I said, number one, this morning, that before you run, you ought to consider not only who you are running from, but where you're running to. I said, number two, this morning, that before you run, you should consider that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. I said, number three, this morning, that before you run, you should consider that when you run, you will wreak havoc in the lives of those traveling with you. Lastly, this morning is this. Before you run, you should consider that God will do what he needs to do. 
that God will do what he needs to do. Please understand this. Not to get back at you, but to get you back. See, when the storms come into our lives, we often think it is God trying to pay us back. It's God exercising revenge upon our lives. It's God just trying to get, because I was supposed to go to Nineveh and I didn't, so now God's going to get back at me. But please realize that if you're saved this morning, if you're a believer, God is your heavenly Father who does not exercise revenge upon your sins. If you're saved, your sins have been paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ. But as a heavenly Father, He disciplines you in love. Not to get back at you, but to get you back. Proverbs chapter 3 Verse 11 says this, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. You say, why? Verse 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he corrected, even as a father, the son in whom he delighted. See, when my children do wrong and I have to discipline them, I'm not getting revenge on them. You broke the window and I'm going to exercise revenge. No, I'm not trying to get back at them. I'm just trying to get them back to where they should be, to what they should be doing, to where they should be going. So just realize, before you run, just realize that God will do whatever he's got to do. He'll send a storm of health or a storm of finances, a storm of trials and tribulations. He'll prepare a fish. He'll do what he needs to do, not to exercise revenge, not to get back at you, but just to get you back to where? You need to be. So Jonah, think about this. Before you run, before you sign that divorce paper, before you decide to quit, before you say, I'm not doing soul winning anymore, before you say, I'm just going to stop going to church, I'm just going to go somewhere else, before you, and, and you come up with all your excuses, before you make all those decisions, you decide, I'm going to run away from God. Consider Jonah. Because God gave us the book of Jonah and the life of Jonah. To help us see that when you run, you ought to consider, like Peter, where am I going? Where shall we go? You ought to consider that wherever you go, God will already be there. You ought to consider that you will wreak havoc in the lives of those that are traveling with you. And you ought to consider the fact that God will do whatever he's got to do. Not to pay you back. Not to get back at you. But to get you back where he wants you to be. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these ancient stories, these ancient writings preserved in Scripture for us.